The NBA playoffs are here. This is the best time of the year if you're a basketball fan. I love April. I love May. If you're looking to see any upcoming playoff games live and in person, wherever you live, I want you to check out the SeatGeek app. It's the best place for uh, to save money on NBA playoff tickets. It's a 100% free service. What SeatGeek does, it aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online, puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. Uh, I would compare it to Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. When you're ready to buy tickets, you can snag a great deal right from your phone. Just a couple taps on the app. No better way to find playoff tickets. The other thing, they have technology called Deal Score That calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you're paying for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. Sounds complicated. It's not. And I have a special uh, bonus for you. Promo code BILL in the SeatGeek app. You get $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It takes less than a minute to download the app. I would do so. Promo code Bill. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download that app and enjoy the NBA playoffs. Thank you. Welcome to Bill Don't Lie, taping this on a Monday morning in Southern California. On the line, 3,000 miles away, Grantland Zach Lowe. Big, 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 big playoff weekend just happened. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Did you enjoy the weekend of basketball, Zach? Uh, enjoy, enjoy is a strong word. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the first round. There are just there are just so many games. But uh, you know, even though we've seen a lot of three zero and three one and sweeps and all that, it hasn't been like last season. Um, you know, the games have been close. Like you know, you had the New Orleans Golden State game three that was kind of epic. Uh, Milwaukee, Chicago has been like a sneaky, fun series. Uh, you, you know, even Cleveland, Cleveland and your beloved seas. I mean, a couple of those games came down to the last few minutes. At least it's it's been weirdly competitive, but not super interesting. Yeah, they always say style makes fights. Styles make fights, and the way these round one matchups fell, I think it was it was just too bad with some of the matchups because I think Hawks Celtics would have been more fun. Um, I think Bucks. Toronto, I think the Bucks could have beaten Toronto, especially after we saw what happened to Toronto. Um, I think uh, the the Wiz the Wiz got the best matchup probably out of anybody. I'm not sure how good they are, and, and now I don't even know how to feel about them going in round two. And then on the other side, Spurs Clippers was an awesome matchup. Warriors Pelicans was fun, but was over in four games. I mean, uh, I don't know if if you took these sixteen teams and just put them in the snow globe and shook it and then had the matchups come out if these were the eight best possible matchups. But Spurs Clips as a round one series, um, it's so overqualified for round one. You actually don't like this. I like it. I like having a finals matchup in round one. Why don't you like it? Well, just because you know, I mean, it, we're going to see worse teams than these advance, right? I mean, we're going to see, you know, you name it. We're going to see inferior teams advance. And these are two of the four or five best teams in the NBA. And one of them is going home. And it's really just because the rules are stupid. The divisional rules are stupid and the conference rules are increasingly antiquated. And, and there's just no universe in which we should seed the playoffs so that two of these five or six best teams are going to be, or one of the two, or one of the five or six best teams is going to go home, and that's that's what's happened. And and look, you can hit the Spurs for you know if you win your last game of the season, you get the number two seed, and we don't have to deal with this. But this was inevitable at some point, and and it's happened before. You know, this is what happens in the Western Conference because of the, and they keep tweaking the rules, you know, so the visions get you X, Y, and Z, um, and not everything they used to. But this this keeps happening, and it's to me, it's a shame. You like it, and and look, it is saving the first round. The first round would be really uninteresting without this it, it feels like there's a conference final series happening uh, and somehow simultaneously with the first round so i re in friday's mailbag column i receded round one if it was just one through 16 the way that i think all of us would kind of hope it would be and it's it and, and it it didn't work out that well it was warrior celtics hawks, hawks bucks rockets thunder clips pelicans grizzlies wizards spurs raptors Cavs, mavs Blazers, Bulls. I don't. None of those are even forty percent of what Spurs clips have been. <laughs> it's it's a so, great series. It's a great series. I'm, I'm I, I love watching it. Rockets Thunder would have been fun. Clippers Pelicans would have been fun. But uh, I don't know. I, I, 
like maybe just because I'm biased because I went to the first two games and you know I've been to a bunch of finals games in my life. The intensity and the electricity in both of those games felt like a finals game, and there are all these different subplots. It's weird that you have two different teams one one that's had just a, an unbelievable amount of success and and has had a run that's just way longer than it should have been. And then you have this other team that's only really been together for four years, and yet they're both at the same point of the run. I think if the Clippers lose this series, I agree with what Charles Barkley said. I think you have to really think about breaking this up or going in a different direction or making a drastic move. And with the Spurs, this is clearly the end of the line, and they're clearly going to look different next year, and and this is the end of one era, and, and it's heading into the Kawhi plus whoever era. Um, did you agree with Barkley that if the Clips lose the series, they have to do something? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, look, you have to do something, right? I mean, you have to upgrade the bench. I think what Charles is saying is that it, it's time to break up the core. And I, and I guess your core would be the three stars plus JJ and Jamal Crawford. And, and I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that the, the Mavericks of 2011 are, are the best argument for, hey, look, if you have a team that wins 55 games every year, and you're considered a playoff disappointment. Remember, more than half the pundits picked Dallas to lose the first-round series that year to Portland. Nobody respected that Mavs team anymore. They were soft. They couldn't win in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. And then they caught fire. Yeah. They got some right matchups. They got healthy, and they won the title. And I think they're the best. The Clippers, look, if they lose to this is the if they lose to the Spurs, I don't think it's some fatal – it's indicative of some fatal flaw that they have. They would have lost to a great team – just like they lost in a wildly competitive series last year to a great team that if they were healthy, Oklahoma City would have been a championship contender this year. I mean, it's not like they're going into the playoffs and losing to clearly inferior teams or there's something broken about the way that they're built. They need more on the wing. They need more from the bench, and I guess that's broken. But, like, that's fringe stuff. If you get the fringe stuff right, like if you don't spend the mid-level exception on a guy who's losing minutes to Big Baby Davis and Heydu Turkoglu, then I think you're fine. I don't. And and by the way, what's your alternative? So what what are you going to do? You let DeAndre walk, and you have no cap space to sign somebody. What's what's the plan? I mean, it's it's very easy to spout off like break it up, break it up. But like, what's what's the actual plan? So that could go in a couple directions. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know you have a plan. I know you have that. That's why I'm. No, asking. I don't. I know you will have plans. I. I I really think that this comes down to these next two two or three games for them. If they blow game five at home against the Spurs and then go to San Antonio and lose in six, I don't know how you bring the same team back. Because I I do think there are real fundamental issues with the actual nucleus that they've assembled. You know, and I'm not sure DeAndre for all the good stuff he brings to the table, like you know, we don't for whatever reason we don't think of bad foul shooting just the way it actually is, but like he was six for seventeen from the free throw line. It really hurt them in that game, you know. And and it's it's this kind of anvil that hangs over every close game with them is is the fear of him getting fouled and the fear of anytime he's near the rim and gets a rebound, the team just fouls him. And you know, I I do think structurally their best five guys. I'm not positive that they can play those five guys together. And well, so even well, if it's a minor fix like trading Jamal. Or whatever they have to do, I, I I do think I don't see that them just bringing this team back next year. I, th- I think the lose. trading Jamal thing is on, not that that's specifically on the field, but I think that's the kind of move that will be there. And and look, there are questions fundamentally about the nucleus, right? Like Blake and DeAndre together have never been really an elite defensive front line. They've been good. Right. They've topped out at good, and they haven't been able to keep good sustainable for a long period of time. Uh, the hacking is interesting um, because I think it's basically backfired on the Spurs in the last no couple question. of games. Um, but right. it is one of those things that when you talk to people in the league, it's like you have like the math evaluation of it and all the reasons why it's like mathematically bad. And then you have the p- players, coaches, even GMs, guys who live this will say will, will say like, yeah, you know, hacking – you know, it might be like mathematically dumb to hack Dwight or to hack Josh Smith, but like you can't underestimate like it's really frustrating for the players on that guy's team to experience. Yep. Like it's really frustrating for James Harden to not get the ball. Like it, it has some sort of psychic toll. It's it's fa- it's a fascinating discussion to me. So game two, which was it, I went to that game, 
so he, I think he was six for 17. And as you said, it, it backfired on San Antonio in some ways. Um, but it backfired for, for reasons that I thought were pretty unique to the game, right? Like for whatever reason, they weren't rebounding the DeAndre misses. Um, for whatever reason, it knocked San Antonio out of its flow offensively. But it also, if you look at the game, like it really knocked Chris out of the game, I think offensively. It, it stopped for so long that I think he had trouble getting back into it. Um, my, my question is, if you lose in six and DeAndre says, I want $120 million for five years or whatever he thinks he's going to get, and somebody's going to pay him that. Like he's going to get a four-year max from somebody else. If you're the Clippers, you're now saying if, if you give him the money that, that he's going to get somewhere else, you're now locked into this team. You're locked into Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan as your three big money guys for at least the next two years. And at that point, you know, by the time the cap goes up far enough to get somebody else, Chris will be in year 13 as a point guard. And, we, and we've seen point guards have a tendency not to age that well past like year 11, year 12. So I think these are real issues. Like I'm not sure DeAndre and Blake are the best way to spend $40 million a year on two players, you know? And I think if if they lose this game five and they go to San Antonio and they lose game six, I, I'm not sure. I, how many close series can this team lose before we start looking at the team itself? Like you mentioned Dallas. Chandler um, Chandler was, was just great that season. And I think that was the biggest difference with that year versus the other years that they've had is they, they had somebody who was just really good at protecting the rim and against Miami – was just kind of the perfect guy. And Marion was really good at guarding LeBron. And you know what I mean? There were real reasons why they advanced and they won the four rounds. I like that team the most out of any Mavericks team. Um, so I guess the question is with the Clips, can they spend all this money on DeAndre, but then also make the other team, make all the surrounding pieces better? And we, I mean, do you trust Doc the GM from what you've seen? Well, you, you couldn't possibly trust Doc the GM from what we've seen. Uh, it's going to be hard. I mean, they're just not going to have the cap flexibility to really do much other than, again, the mid-level exception. And that's not going to get you, you know, I mean, every, a lot, most championship teams, almost every one have that like six, seven, six, eight, even six, nine wing guy who can lock you down and hit some threes. And they just don't have that anymore. I mean, Matt Barnes is their closest facsimile and he's just not good enough. Yeah. Um, that said, I, you know, look, if I, I'm fine with those three guys as I really am as my big money my big money group for the next couple of years. I mean, if that's, if, unless I can have a better plan um, and it's going to be hard for me to craft one, like if I know I'm winning 55 plus games with those guys every year, like I, I'm, I'm going to roll with it um, and, and resign DeAndre for that amount. And by the way, you mentioned Dallas and Tyson Chandler. I, I, you can't watch this Mavs rocket series where, when everyone is scoring a million points and no one's playing any defense right. and not think of like, Who's the next rim protector Dallas is going to have to have? If they're going to keep like retooling around Dirk instead of rebuilding, DeAndre Jordan would fit nicely there. If Tyson Chandler, you know, if they just decide again yep. that Tyson Chandler's too old, that that's a that's a place to look. It's funny. All three Texas teams are going to be major players this summer potentially, and they and they're all at different points of the era. Like Dallas, it could go. If Dallas strikes out this summer. And the Celtics have their pick next year as top seven protected. That could get bad really fast for them because, you know, Rondo's obviously leaving. Monte might leave. Um, now you they all might leave. That's that when they got Rondo, I was like, okay, you know, I didn't like that trade, but I thought maybe they have, you know, they just re-sign all these guys because they're familiar with them now, and they just yeah. run it back, add another piece, and now it's like they, it's possible they all are gone, especially which, if they lose in in game five, which leaves Dirk and Chandler Parsons. Yeah, and just how That's many trouble. times can you just r- turn over the entire roster over and over again? It's hard to do. So then you have San Antonio that uh, – I, I got to say I'm not sold on Kawhi. Just every, Everybody is writing about this Kawhi thing as if it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to sign some massive extension. And I respect all the people that have written about it. My question is are we sure Kawhi is going to do that? Are we sure Kawhi isn't um, confident enough in his own abilities and his and his own talent and his own free agent appeal a year from now to do a Greg Monroe and just say, "Hey, this is all great. I'm glad you want to give me that money, but you know what? I'm actually gonna I'm gonna play this one out. I'm cool. 
I'm just going to sign the qualifier, and we'll figure this out a year from now. And I'm going to take a giant insurance policy on myself for this year, just to just to have myself covered. I don't know why people don't think that that could happen. Do you think that could it happen? could? It could for sure. I mean, some some players are going to do it, right? I mean, whether they're guys coming off rookie scale deals or even more likely, I think the veterans who have already made a lot of money um, and feel more confident risking a year, uh, risking injury for a year to go back in free agency. Someone's going to do it. Like I talked to a lot of agents and stuff and others about this last week for the thing I wrote about the Spurs. And I, I don't think Kawhi's the good bet to do it. My bet would be if they give him the full five-year max that he takes it. That's my bet. I just don't think after all the weird injuries he had this year, I, I think that spooked him a little bit. Mm. And he's happy there. That that I just – all the noises, he's just going to take that full five-year max. But, you know, you're right. There's an argument to be made that he, he fits it to a T. You know, no one – they always say no one's ever turned down the full max – to go take the qualifying offer, like Greg Monroe took the qualifying offer, he's a he's a great candidate. You 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 think it's on the table? I wouldn't rule it out. I don't I don't think I wouldn't say that. Hey Kawhi, it's just just lock him down. He's a spur. I just you don't know because there's just so much money that's coming in the league the next couple of years. The one thing though, if he got first team or second team All NBA. Plus what it like, let's say he signs for the max for five years, but then at some point during that contract, if he gets first team or second team all NBA, doesn't he get a bump from that? No, I think you've got to do it in your first four years. You've that, that oh, criteria okay. of making the two all NBA and two all stars. It's got to be done in your first four years. So he's done there. Okay. Um, so that's, so this is just the money and and the highest they think it could go is, is somewhere between one thirty five and one forty, I think. I'd have to look at the I'd yeah. have to look at the math, but it's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So, you know, I don't know. I think that guy's pretty resilient. I'm not I'm not sold on him just being like, Okay, I'll take the money. I think he'll I think he'll look at everything and and I also think he's an extremely competitive guy. And if he feels like this is a situation where it's just him and a bunch of aging guys, I mean, one of the stunning things of, of the playoffs, I think, is is how old Parker's looked. And I know he's had some injuries, but you know, point guards, they they I think they lose it pretty fast. They go from all NBA to, you know, what where Jason Kidd was maybe on Dallas in those years. Like they they did they will drop it. You lose a half step and you're at a totally different level of your career. I know he's hurt, but I also know he's he's been in the league since two thousand one. You know, this is year 14 for him, plus all the playoff miles he's had. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Spurs going forward, that worries me a little. Patty Mills has been better than him in this series. Yeah, I mean, they're closing games with Patty Mills. Um, and, and it's weird because a game like yesterday, Parker started off, and I, and I wrote in my notes over and over again, Parker looks good, Parker looks explosive. Like he was making all those little sneaky floaters where he scoots past uh, the big man help defender and like flies horizontally and makes these crazy shots. Um, he looked good. And then by the end of the game, he's not on the floor and, and his defense has been really bad all year. And I think that really, you hit it. I think that's the biggest long-term issue for the Spurs transitioning into, into the next year. If they have to at all next season, maybe they run it back again, but it is that Parker's almost 33 and he looks to be declining fast. And I believe he has three more years on his contract after this one. Right. Um, that the new extension. So he's going to be on the books until he's about 37. And uh, you're right that he's had some injuries, but he seems now to always have some injuries. And um, and I think he's going to have that's to go, their biggest issue. Yeah, he'll have to go on the John Stockton, Jerry Sloan plan. I think probably start next year where you're basically playing him 28 minutes a game and you play Patty Mills the other 20. And that's and that's how you have your point guard position. But you know, if they don't get LaMarcus Aldridge, and LaMarcus Aldridge is, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, you, if you're Kawhi, you just look at the team you have. Pop's a, Pop's a great coach. You have good infrastructure there. But I, I just would want a little more info before I, I committed to this five year max extension without even knowing if I'm going to be by far the best team or not. I also, I, I don't know why Duncan would retire. <laughs> We've never had this conversation, I don't think. I I, lo- I get the whole idea of getting out a year early versus getting out a year too late and not being 1989 Kareem or 2003 MJ or whatever, or even last year's Kobe, this year's Kobe. Uh, but 
Duncan is as good this year as he was six years ago. And he's, I mean, he only has one leg that works, but it doesn't really affect how he plays. Are we sure he's retiring? Of course not. No, he's until, and you know, with Tim Duncan, until he's actually gone, you know, probably just leave. He probably won't even announce anything. He'll probably just send an email to <laughs> the league there. office and just, and just vanish. Um, and then pop up in some grainy video shopping at CVS or something. Um, no, I, I'm not. There's no way to know he's going to retire. I mean, look, you're right that he's still great. He's 39, and you talk to older players, even ones that are still really good, and it's not it's not the decline in skill with with those kind of guys that drives them out or drives them to think about it. It's just it's like how much work it is to just maintain. The grind. Yeah, the just like a, the maintenance day to day becomes so such a burden. Um, yep. That may, you know, he hasn't really talked that much about that, but and and everyone with the Spurs says that he just still loves the process of working on skills and coming early and leaving late and all that. So you know, I, I guess we'll see. You know, we'll we'll learn with everyone else. The two best guys for that conversation have been Dirk and uh, and Ray Allen. And I've actually talked to Dirk about that, and so have you. And and oh, and Nash was really. I mean, Nash is now retired, but Nash had. And they all say the same things. They love playing the games. They love being on the bus. They love being on the planes. They love the camaraderie. They love being in the playoffs. The part that sucks is getting up at 6.30 in the morning to go work out for two hours and going to a gym and just being there and saying, I have to make a 1,000 three-pointers today. And it's that day-to-day mental grind of just kind of climbing this mountain that you've already climbed a million times when your body's not quite as good as it was a year ago and two years ago and four years ago. That's what kills those guys, and uh, well, also just also just like with... showing, also just showing up and like having people just do stuff to your body for like two hours and like throw Rip. you in freezing cold chambers and poke you with stuff, and it's just like it's just like your body becomes this this object that people are operating on. I I can't tell you how amazing Duncan was in that game too in person. He had a couple old school Timmy quick fadeaway moves. And, you know, a couple got blocked, too. Like, DeAndre stuffed one, which I can't remember seeing Duncan's turnaround get stuffed as violently as DeAndre did. But he had a couple old-school turnaround bankers where I you, you wouldn't even know what year it was. It could have been 2003, <laughs> you know. And and he was just amazing in that game. And I think he's going to be amazing in Game 5. And, you know, the best thing in the Spurs' favor, unless uh, unless Parker's really hurt, is – just being able to play every other day I think helps the Spurs more than the Clippers. Look at the minutes that the Clippers – like Blake played 43 minutes again in that in that uh, game four. He's been playing – they got rest in game three because they got blown out. But those are big minutes, you know. They played Wednesday game two. They had, had three days rest, so they were able to play their guys a lot of minutes. You saw the effects in game three. Yesterday they looked fresher, but they went all out in that game. Now you got two days later. Now all of a sudden you got another – Huge game. I think the Clippers are going to be tired. And unless they get those three guys off their bench again, which they had an unbelievable bench performance from Rivers yesterday. I don't know if that's happening again. But I I just don't think you can win two of these last three unless you have eight guys. Um, Do you think Rivers repeats that performance again in our lifetime? I'm sorry. Do I think Austin Rivers goes seven for eight on the same crappy shots he always takes? Uh yeah. no no I I don't think he's although I like that also, I like that he I like that he randomly decided that he hated Patty Mills I enjoyed that he he I will say he he plays with feistiness right like yeah when you go to the Clipper games as as bad as he's been offensively and yesterday was definitely an aberration defensively he's pretty good and he's physical and he stays in front of people and he's he's definitely not weak like you don't look at him and go. This is a guy who's afraid to be out there. If anything, he's it's the other way where he has a little too much confidence. And there are these moments where he has the ball and it's clear that he's going to try to do something and the crowd will start preemptively groaning. Like, oh, like you can kind of hear people get nervous when it seems like he might try to do something. But, uh, you know, maybe that'll be if they if he can just give them 15 minutes a game where he doesn't kill them. And, and Davis hasn't been awful. I've been, he's been shockingly half decent. And Crawford, eight guys you can beat the Spurs. 
I think you can win any playoff series with eight guys, but you can't win with seven. You can't win with six. And that's um, can I tell you something on Glenn Davis? I don't know. I don't know how to put this politely, but can I can I say something about Glenn Davis? Sure. I've had multiple coaches and strength coaches and trainers suggest that we I don't know how we would do this, but that we should do a story on like how it's possible that Glenn Davis is a rotation player in the NBA because no, they just don't understand like how it, they look at him and they're like our strength coaches and our trainers literally do not understand how it's possible that he is running up and down the court and playing in the NBA. I don't know how we would do that, but people have said many people have suggested that somehow that's a Grantland story. It's it's incredible to watch him because he moves around fast right. and he he doesn't get winded in a minute. It's it's um it's 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 really incredible. It's he's playing ahead of Spencer Hawes. I don't it's 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 crazy. Well, they're never going to have a better chance to beat the clip, beat the Spurs because Splitter is just I would say he's 50%. He might even be 40%. He's just not the same guy. And Parker is hurt. And you start looking at the rest of that Spurs team. Bellinelli only played six minutes yesterday. He played crunch time in game two. Like, like Pop is kind of kind of quietly grabbing for straws a little bit, trying to find eight guys that he can count on every game. Uh, and then the amount that they relied on Kawhi those last two games was uh, – I mean, can you remember the Spurs relying on Kawhi like that offensively, especially yesterday? I was I was shocked by that. No, um, but he's up for it. I mean, that's what we've yeah. learned so far is that, that he's up for it, and he can he can have his way with anyone on the Clippers roster. He draws double teams. He makes good decisions. He's very calm uh, in traffic. He had one drive the other day. I think it was game it was game three, the blowout game, where he just blitzed Matt Barnes, blew by him, and then got in the lane and like DeAndre came to help and he's just very calmly pump fake, got DeAndre up, laid the ball in, like completely under control. He's never moving fast. It's very it's very impressive how calm he is. I think the thing that stands out for him over every other great quality that he has that I love, and I th- I think he's one of my four or five favorite players in the league at this point. There are moments sometimes where the wrong person is dribbling the ball up for the other team. And they go over the half court line, and then Kawhi kind of comes over like a shark, like it's almost like a swimmer. And Kawhi, Ka- shark Kawhi swims over, and the guy sees the shark fin, and just completely panics, like he's ready to throw the ball back court just to get just to get rid of the ball before Kawhi goes near him. And Kawhi has this way of when he goes after somebody like that, he his arms are down. It's almost it's it's like almost like you don't know if he has a weapon. And and he's just kind of <laughs> creeping toward the person, like ready, ready, just to mug them. It's great. There's just I only Pippen. Pippen's the only guy I've ever seen play defense like that. It's incredible. This, there was there was one play. I think it was actually in yesterday's game where they set. I think they set that big double screen for Chris Paul, and it looked like he had a lot. Like he cleared it, and and Kawhi got hit, and it looked like he had like all this room to operate and then he went up for a floater and got stuffed by two people at once like Kawhi got back into the play and blocked him from behind right. and Duncan blocked him and you're like and it's again one of these many moments from this series where you just think man these teams are so freaking good it's 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 I'm sorry to say this it's insane that this series is taking place at the same time that like the Celtics and the Nets are playing playoff I know. series it's, it's it's just insane I know I went I went to game two clip Spurs, which the first three quarters was great. And then it just degenerated, but it was still, they were, you know, they were at a very high level. And then the next day you go to Celtics Cavs. I went to it and, uh, you know, within the Cavs just were, they were so bored by how bad the Celtics were, but then also weren't quite good enough to coast because the Celtics are so well coached and so frisky. So it's just this ongoing battle for four games where the Cavs are so freaking talented but anytime they let up, the Celtics would kind of climb back into it. And it was just a completely different level of basketball. I want, hold on. I want to talk about that in a second. But yes, I, I'm going to make you do something that you hate doing more than anything. Oh, good. Want. Good. Uh, clip Spurs. Who wins? Uh, I picked Spurs in seven. I don't see any reason to not pick Spurs in seven. I know that you're never supposed to pick the road game. Uh, but the yep. Spurs have won Game Sevens on the road before, uh, and I I don't exactly 
feel petrified about them coming into the Clippers arena for a game seven. I think, you know, again, could go either way, but I, that's what I picked. And I, I think the Spurs are a little bit better and I'll stick with it. What about you? You picked the Clippers, right? Wasn't that your upset pick on our show? No, but I didn't stick with it. Remember, both of us had half-assed upset picks. <laughs> I right. picked. Uh, I said. I said. I thought the best bet of the entire first round was Spurs in six and Spurs in seven, just to bet both for the odds. Because, and I'm with you. I think if anyone can win a game seven on the road, it's them. I do think it's going to be one of those games, and, and it's going seven. I, nobody's nobody like the Clippers aren't winning three in a row, and I don't think the Spurs can win five and six. Um, it. Ooh, I, I wouldn't put. The, I wouldn't where, put that past. I wouldn't put that past the Spurs. Spurs in six would not surprise me at all. Well, but here's the problem, though. The Clippers have been the better team in three of the four games. You know, they like game two is a fluke. That game was over. The Clippers should have won that game. They had the ball with 15 seconds left, up two, and Blake just dribbled it to the other team. I mean, that that's going to happen. Well, one they, out they were of also times, they were also down eight with. Five minutes to go. You know, what I mean, you could you could just as easily argue that the Spurs nearly gagged that game. I get what you're saying, but I guess um, it was one of those games that at some point in the game you were like, "Wow, this is going to be a horrible loss for both for whoever loses this game is going to just feel terrible." But uh, I really did feel like just to have that at home when you're up two with the ball with 15 seconds left, like man. But uh, I I think if it goes to seven. I think either the Clips win by like 25 points or the Spurs win. Does that make sense? It's either a Clips blowout or the Spurs pull it out. If it's close, I think the Spurs win. It just just the DNA. I think the DNA you just, wins out. Do you just out. trust like game, them in close games? Yeah, game two is like that. They never should have won game one, game two. And, and to rely on Duncan like they did in game two. At his age, with the miles that he has on him, I thought was incredible. Hey, we we gotta talk quickly about uh the two about other series about these all these seven other bad series that are going on. But, well, the two biggest storylines that came out of round one, um, other than Kevin Love's injury, which which whatever we could have the first take talk about, uh, did he do it intentionally or not? Like I've watched Kelly Olynyk for two years. Like he's he's not a dirty player. He's uncoordinated. I think he's not dirty. I think he's a stumbling guy who was trying to grab somebody's arm and didn't realize it was bent the wrong way. Whatever. Um, number one is Aldridge in Portland. This is that Portland series has gone about as as depressingly as I think uh, as it could go for the Blazers. Does do you don't you feel like there's a real chance now that he leaves? Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's been non-committal in his latest public comments. I think, right, according to Chris Broussard, who I guess interviewed him at some point in that series, and he said, "We'll see if Portland would be his number one option." And you know, the Oregonian had some player saying they think it's only a fifty-fifty chance. Some teammate saying that that you know that Lamarcus stays. And we look, we we've, we've been hearing whispers for weeks that the Texas teams, including San Antonio, are going to go after him. And that's the sneaky Portland is the sneaky. And not sneaky if you're a Blazers fan. It's it's the sneaky, um, unstable summer situation with with Aldridge and Lopez and Wes Matthews all entering free agency. And Aldridge is really the centerpiece of the team. I think this series has reaffirmed that. I mean, there was a moment when people thought that Lillard had kind of eclipsed him as the most important player on the team. And that I don't think that was ever true. No. And I think it's clear, clearly not true now. He was um, horrible this and, series. And it, yeah, and if he leaves, if Lamarcus leaves, you know that suddenly is like, you know, you could you could move Nick Batum. Like I wrote a whole thing about Utah trading its number one pick for a wing player. I think that's the kind of player that that would be a fair deal for. I'm not saying either side would do it, but like you could move Batum, and then I guess you start. I, I don't know. I, I it's it's you know Neil Olshay is a really smart GM. He doesn't want to be trapped in mediocrity. I don't know what they do if all those guys leave. The Celtics would be an unbatum. I think the Spurs would be an on him. I think all the smart teams would be an unbatum because his contract's not that bad. And uh, this Portland situation's bad. If they get swept, we, you know, we're taping this on Monday afternoon. Odds are they get swept tonight, although Mike Conley is out. But um, Lopez has been – this has been the opposite of a contract run. Whatever he's on, I, I, he's cost himself money. Not as much as Rondo, but he's cost himself money. The Lillard, 
um, who really campaigned to be in the All-Star game and, and kind of carried himself like he's one of the best 15 players in the league. And he's been a DH for his entire career. Um, and he's just had an abominable series. Matthews, we don't even know when he's coming back. If I'm Aldridge, I'm looking at this situation and going, well, I'm, we're not going to be better next year. So now now I'm looking at year 12. Uh, so just long-term, where is this going? And And I think... He's a real threat to leave. It really like this did not go well. And the other the other team that it went terrible for is uh, is Toronto. And I, I think now we understand why Masai didn't make a move at the deadline because clearly he didn't like anything. What do you see happening there? Well, I mean, just to start on to finish on Lamarcus. I mean, when you say you know he can look at Portland and say what's the long term picture, I think you also have to look at the Western Conference and and say you know of the teams that can get him. You know, who's going to be better than Golden State in the next couple of years? I mean, there's a lot of uncertain situations in the Western Conference that, you know, there are not a lot of teams that you could look at if you're LaMarcus and say, you know, I can go there and compete for a title now. And I think that's where yeah. Kawhi's emergence really changes things for the Spurs because they can at least point to him and say, we have one foundational piece here for the next half decade. You come be another one. Good point. And and we've really got something. As for Toronto, look, we said this last week, I think, or whenever, whenever we last talk. I mean, it's all. I mean, everything is on the table for them now. I don't think Casey is going to coach there next year, and and it would not surprise me if half that roster is somewhere else. I think that they just they know what they are now, and and they're something that they don't want to be. They've played below five hundred ball basically now for three and a half months. Hey, I, it hasn't really been explained to me what happened to Kyle Lowry. I, well, he got hurt, I, when I right? I mean, he's value, did... Yeah, so that so, I mean, was he hurt enough that he looked like the guy we just watched? Uh, apparently, I mean, he's denying today that he got hurt, but you know that's what players do. You know, he had back injuries, okay. he had some leg stuff. I mean, that stuff that stuff is tough, but it also doesn't like he committed a lot of dumb fouls. There have been a lot of dumb fouls yeah. uh, in the the Spurs even committed a lot of dumb fouls um, yesterday after hacking their way into the bonus. But yeah, Kyle Lowry it was a terrible series. That whole team that was that was a collapse. I mean, that wasn't just a sweep. That was like a complete and total collapse, and that's tough yep. to come back from. As Jalen would say, that was one of those collapses where after game two, guys started making plans for the Tuesday after game four. It was one of those, yeah, let's start making those. We're not playing a game five. We're out of here. Uh, and it's funny because so Toronto does nothing at the deadline, which I thought was weird because at the time, Cleveland hadn't really become Cleveland yet. Um, Atlanta seemed, you know, who knows with them, like they were playing great in the regular season, but they certainly didn't seem unbeatable. And Toronto was playing, you know, had been playing pretty well. Lowry was having a good season. And it, it seemed like, wow, this is weird. Why wouldn't they try to get another dude? There's some good dudes out here. Masai did nothing. Then you look at what Portland did. They gave up a first rounder for Aaron Aflalo. He was atrocious in the playoffs and then got hurt. Um, so, you know, now they don't have, now they lost a pick and they're going to get swept anyway. So maybe Masai I th- I feel like Masai knew. I think he must have known in February, like, this isn't my coach. This isn't a team that's going anywhere. I'm not even sure I'm attached to any of the players of this team. Uh I'm not wasting a pick just to try to get to round two. I'm not doing it. I mean that's he told thing. me in December or January, whenever the hell I was up there, you know, on the record, it's on there that it's in the story I wrote about, you know, he has to decide as the GM approaching the trade deadline whether this is fool's gold or not. And he was talking in part about, you know, the fact that the East is so bad, you can trick yourself into yeah. thinking you're a contender. But he was also talking about his team and whether I think they were like 24 and 7 at the time or something like that, whether that was real or not. And you don't say something like that on the record unless you think there's a chance that it's fool's gold, that it really is. Well, which which team would you rather not be right now, Portland or Toronto? Would I, which team would I? So, which team would I rather be? <laughs> I guess I'd rather be Portland, just because I know that if I can manage to keep the team together that I have, I have a really good team, uh, and and that may not be possible because you know Wes Matthews is is coming back from an injury that has devastated almost everyone that's ever gotten it. But at least I know if I have Lillard, Aldridge, Batum, 
80% of West Matthews and a good center, I'm I'm a really good team. And if I'm Toronto and I have all these guys, I don't you know, some of them will grow, like Valanchunas and Ross, who was a disaster in this series, will will get better. Um, but I don't know that I have a 55-win team in there anywhere, and I, there's no evidence that I do. So I guess Portland, even though it could it could go badly for me. It's funny. I think I'd rather be Toronto because neither of these teams, as presently constituted, have a chance to sniff the finals. And I, I'd be I, – I just think Aldridge is going to leave. I mean, I, I have no inside information on that. I just – just a gut feeling on, on the point of his career that he's at. Um the fact that Lillard, I think, has become a little bit more of a celebrity than him in Portland and in the league itself, and uh, and there's just some high upside situations for him, you know, uh, to replace Tim Duncan, to be the guy on the Celtics team that's just has a war chest of assets, or the guy on the Magic, or to go play with Carmelo and Okafor and, and the Knicks, or you know, these are good situations that are out there. He could go to Dallas, go home. He could go be on Houston and play with James Harden and Dwight Howard. You know, well, I think like they, that. These by are the way, real I think situations. Houston will try. We know Houston will try. We know that Daryl yeah. Morey really wants to get a stretch four and almost got Bosch. And they don't have the cap room to get him, but they can sign and trade. They can do all sorts of tricky things. I mean, that would be that would be an unbelievable team. I mean, Houston is a really good team as is, and and we haven't really seen them whole at all this season. If you put Aldridge yeah. on that team, they could win sixty five games next year. And I think when people write about cap situations and how can the Spurs – I mean, you even wrote about how the Spurs would be able to fit Aldridge, what they'd have to do. I, I think the one part that, that people sometimes forget is you have, the, you have whatever cap space you're going to have, but you also have the opportunity to maybe trade a piece or two to open up even more cap space, right? So if you're the Spurs, you could get rid of Tiago's splitter if you really needed to. You know, I think he's got two years left at – Eight or nine million a piece, like that's not a bad contract for Tiago Splitter at this point. And he, even if you had to give somebody a number one pick to shed that salary, you'd do it. Um, same thing with Houston has the New Orleans pick. They have Terrence Jones. They have a lot of different ways to shed salary if if they really wanted to. So I think well, and that and that gets back to the players having control of the process, right? I mean, all of these balls are in the air at once. You're not like you're not attached to a certain amount of cap space. You can. If LaMarcus Aldridge tells both Portland and San Antonio, I am going to San Antonio, that's where I want to go, then everyone yeah. involved will do the do the necessary steps to make it happen. And that that's you know, that's how it works with the star players. So yeah, you know, you're totally right. There there are always moves to make and then you look at Houston last year and then sometimes you try and make too many moves at once and it backfires. Like, you know, they, they sacrificed the first round pick to get rid of Lynn for cap space. They didn't end up using on the guy they thought they were going to get, but they recovered fine. And it's, it's a hard dance to do, but yeah, you do it. Well, I hated that Lynn trade and I I did feel like it was a little panicky, but didn't that allow them enough cap space to get uh, Corey Brewer and, and even Jason Terry. I can't remember how that worked out. Uh, I'd have to look. I mean, they built it. I think they got a trade exception in there somewhere. Um, yeah, I think, I'd have to I, go back and reverse engineer their their. Yeah, moves. I, don't, I think that worked out slightly better than uh than maybe we thought. But so, Joe Johnson next year is twenty four point eight million dollars. Darren Williams next year is twenty one million dollars. Jared Jack next year is six point three million dollars. And Lopez, if he opts back in, is $16.7 million. The Nets are already at the cap next year unless Lopez opts out. It, it, if, you're, like, if you're a Celtics fan, the team just got swept, whatever, they need two All-Stars. This Brooklyn situation really has even more potential than I think I thought a year ago because Darren Williams was so bad in, the, in, that, in, in those playoff games that this is now looking like a an absolute train wreck. What's your sense on the Nets? I mean, if they keep every if they keep everyone together, and that will re- require bringing back Brook Lopez one way or another, um, the evidence suggests that they're going to try and make the playoffs every year, and that they can cobble together forty wins, which in the East is like you get a little pat on the back in the seventh seed or something. Um, I, I don't. 
you know, I unless they completely fall off the map, like D. Will just is. This is the player that he is. The one we've seen the last ten days. That's just what he is forever. Um, and Brooke leaves, and they don't find a good replacement for him. Uh, then I guess. But you know, if they keep everyone together, they'll they'll be fine. They probably will make the playoffs, or or at least be very very low in the lottery, and and that's life. But. You know, there, right, there is that. a down. There is a downside where Brook leaves, and they they don't have the quite the flexibility to replace him adequately, and they're in a little bit of trouble. Here are the teams that were behind them this year: Indiana, they're going to be better. Miami, they're going to be a lot better. Detroit, they're going to be pretty good next year. The year two of the SVG era, I like that team. Orlando. They're going to have another top five pick, and they have a crap load of cap space, and who knows what they're capable of this year. And then the Knicks, who have no incentive to suck next year because they don't have their pick, and they're going to add a top three pick or whatever. I think it looks bleak for Brooklyn. I mean, you could make a case that they might get jumped by five teams. Yeah, and you're right. That you're right that there are more. You're right that there. That's a good point. There are more Eastern Conference lottery teams that look like they're going to be better next year than yes. there are playoff teams who look like they're going to be worse. Like, if Paul George and um, Chris Bosh don't get hurt, the Celtics and Nets do not make the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. Um, and then I think Orlando is very capable of making a jump if they if they handle their business correctly. That'll be interesting. Uh, is there anything you saw from the first round that changed your opinion of how you felt going into the first round? Just, just from, I'm sorry, from a, from a title standpoint. Yeah, from a big tip picture title standpoint. Um, Atlanta, Atlanta messing around with the Nets and not being able to get their offense unstuck is, is troubling. I will be watching tonight's game very carefully. Um, no, I, other than that, no, I, I that and Mike Conley before he got hurt again, looking really good. Uh, makes Memphis more interesting to me than they were when the playoffs started. And even Jeff Green can't hit a shot right now to save his life, but the team is playing well when he's on the floor. The small ball lineup with him at the four looks good. So I would say Atlanta uh, having a little bit of trouble and Memphis, again, before another unfortunate injury, looking like a strong, deep team. Those are the two things on the fringes, but it's not like, you know, there, there's not a contender that I think looks way worse, or a non-contender that's vaulted into the conversation. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to put Chicago in that conversation quite yet. Yeah, the 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 one thing I, I really liked and I was impressed by, and I thought meant something was Golden State's comeback in Game Three against New Orleans because that's the type of thing you do when you're a great team. You even when you're down 17 with six minutes left, you say, you know what, we're winning this one. And you go and you win and you get get to overtime. You take care of business. That was a great team win, and I thought they I thought they needed one of those in that series, and I was impressed by that. But the big things that happen in in uh, and I guess Rose, the fact that Rose looked so roseish in uh, in a couple of these games in the Buck series, I think was a good sign for them. But the big thing really was injuries, you know. And I think oh sure Conley. The Conley facial fracture, that sounds – I mean, we they won't even give us details about this. This to me sounds like – you know, I, I had no nothing. I have no inside info. This to me sounds like a broken eye socket or, or you know, like or a really severe face, nasal fracture or something that's serious enough that they won't even tell us what it is. What it, have you heard anything? They are mum. Uh, they are mum on the details, and I, I agree with you. Well, that's not necessarily a bad sign. They could just be gathering the details, but um, we'll see how much time he misses. But certainly, I mean, look, Bano looked great in game – was it game one that he went crazy? Um, and he's looked yeah. pretty good overall before he got hurt, his, turned his ankle, and he's coming back tonight. But, you know, if they don't have Mike Conley, they're not a title. They're not a contender to beat Golden State, period. I mean, that, that series becomes no. not a walkover, but it becomes a foregone conclusion. Um for the Warriors. Well, even and worse guess, if if they have, but if they have Mike Conley, but he's playing with a broken eye socket and a broken cheekbone and has a mask on, I'm not sure that that's a good outcome either. So, 
In addition to the oh. foot injury, which, by the way, I've really enjoyed, is it Lewis, Lewis Johnson, right, is on that series and he's like taking his shoe off and writing a red X where the, where the, <laughs> where the bump is and holding up the golf ball. I'm in on that. That's, right. that's side, that is good sideline reporting. He is all in on the Mike Conley injury situation. So that was one. And then, uh, the Kevin Love shoulder is a biggie. I, if he's out two weeks and they don't have him against the Bulls, you're putting – first of all, we should mention they're the best player in the world who can play power forward. So that's good. But uh, it just puts a lot of pressure on the Tristan Thompson, Mozgov. You might even have to get a little perk in that series. This is the worst possible team they could have played in the East to all of a sudden not have Kevin Love for two weeks, right? I like how perk got in. Every time perk gets in – it, there's not like a moment of basketball competence that happens. It's just immediate <laughs> right. peak unwatchable Kendrick Perkins. Just like immediate. Yeah. It's either an illegal screen or a fight or a turnover. He wastes no time. Um, well, it's, it's real. It's the love injury. And I don't, you know, we'll see how many games JR misses because their obvious solution without love is to just play LeBron at the four. But you need as many good yep. wing players as you can to do that. And if they don't have JR, you know, we're going to see James Jones more and they might have to like uh, take Mike Miller and Sean Marion out of the hyperbaric chamber where they sleep or wherever the hell they are um, and actually play them. So, yeah, that's a big one. And the one we're disres- we're disrespecting one team, one big first round team. Disrespecting okay. them. The Washington yep. Wizards. We haven't even talked about the Wizards. Maybe they're the big story from the first round. It's so tough to say whether whether it's praise for them or just disgust for Toronto. It was one of those, like Toronto was so bad in that series. I almost don't know what to make of what the Wiz did, but there are some compelling arguments for, you know, they took more threes, the assists are up, uh, less long twos, just the eye test watching them. It just seemed like the flow was better. And I think the biggest difference was just, you know, Pierce was almost hibernating. He was like Matt Damon in Interstellar, just, in, in a little water suit and they pulled him out for the playoffs and uh and he's Paul Pierce and the the swagger and leadership and all that stuff that everybody's talked about and loves about him is is was kind of on display it seems like they've bought into him and maybe that trumps having Randy Whitman as your coach I don't know what did you see well, it's it is it is interesting, right? I mean, Randy Whitman's a punching bag all year long. They take too many long twos. They don't play Pierce at the four. Porter's development stagnates. Blah 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 blah. And then the playoffs come, and for the second straight year, they play a lot better. And Pierce plays at the four every game, and the Pierce Otto Porter combination somehow turns out to be deadly. I have no idea what the hell happened to Otto Porter over the last two weeks, but he turned into a very good. I mean, he's shown signs of being a good mm-hmm. NBA player, but this is crazy. Um, it, it's possible Randy Whitman just outsmarted everyone. I mean, I think you have to, I think we all have to reckon with that possibility, but it's not it, like Gortat looks really good again after kind of having a weirdly blah most of the year. Uh, yeah. they, uh, I, I buy, I'm buying the Wizards. I'm not buying them as like, you know, we're already talking about how they're going to get by the Hawks, but I, I'm, I think this is, they've optimized their lineups. They changed the way they play. I mean, there's something real about what they did. It's weird because the Nets took off last year once they started playing Pierce at the four. And Whitman didn't do it really consistently for the first six months of the season. And then all of a sudden the playoffs embraced it. But that's, it's like Paul Pierce is a stretch four now. That's, that's where you should want to play him. Bizarre. It is, but he's. it's also remarkable even saying that and like everyone ages up a position as they get yep. older. His footwork, like he guards, he, he didn't guard Deon, uh, DeMar DeRozan as well as uh, Otto Porter did, but like his footwork against quicker players is just, he, you know, he's he's really, really good. Paul Pierce is really good and not just in like the dagger swagger kind of way. Like his his he's a smart defender who can keep up with quicker guys even at the three. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I Randy Whitman clearly knew Paul Pierce at the power forward was a thing. He just waited to use it. Do you, do you really believe that? <laughs> Why? Well, what's the what other explanation is there? As soon as the playoffs started, second quarter, game one, here comes Paul Pierce at power forward after like a whole year of people wondering why he almost never did that. So this was Randy Whitman's Kaiser Soze moment. All of a sudden, he wasn't was one walking without a limp. 
Yeah, and I guess I have to see Interstellar. That's the second time someone has made an Interstellar reference on a podcast with me in like the last ten days. I don't know what that's. Is that the? Is that the what's the, his the name movie? Christopher Nolan sci-fi. movie. Yeah, cut out three hours of your life because that's how long it is. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't like didn't Inception. Make... I didn't like Inception. I don't know that I'm not. I didn't. I don't want to. I don't know that I want to do that. I almost ordered well, it in probably... my hotel. I almost watched it in my hotel in L.A. last week or whenever I was out there, but I, I opted against it. And we should mention one of the big winners around one was Jimmy Butler, who was just off the charts great. And uh, I don't see any way he's not a Max guy. He just has to be. I mean, he might even – is he eligible for the five – he is eligible for the five-year too, right, from them? Sure, for the five-year, but not for um, not for the Rose Rule raises, but for the five, five-year deal, sure. Um, yeah, he's a Max well, guy, that, period. I mean, that, that, that's that, that, that debate is over. Yeah, that that's over. Are we sure the Bulls are going to pony up money for a max backcourt? The Bulls have some issues to sort out, uh, for sure. But I think you know if the alternative is nothing or use the mid-level exception to try and get a shooting guard, I, I think they will pay up for Jimmy Butler. Especially you know the cap doing what it's going to do, that deal is going to be fine. Did you like my casting for the Disney movie Tibbs with Matt Damon having gained 20 pounds? Or was there another actor you wanted, would have wanted to see play Tibbs? Is there someone who I mean, wouldn't really have to gain? I mean, really, it would have been gain... Philip Seymour Hoffman. Huh? Well, yeah, I was going to say, is there someone who wouldn't have to gain the 20 pounds? Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been perfect. Would have been perfect. He's got the, it would have been the best. The, the baritone voice is already there and everything. Oh, um, it would have been great. He would have owned the Tibbs character. I don't know. We'll think about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't uh, know. I have, to, have to think on that. So what's coming What's coming from you this week on Grantland? Uh, winners, losers of the first round. Uh, preview of round two. Maybe another little goodie here or there. I don't know yet. Uh, those are those are the two definites. And probably working on something related to the Wizards for, for next week. But um, that's, that's down the pike a little bit. Just... Grinding through the playoffs, man. Watching all these games until my eyes bleed. How did it work uh, watching all these games in your apartment with uh, a little baby there? How'd that go? Uh, suboptimal. <laughs> Not great. Um, but you do. It's, it's it's actually okay. I mean, look, she's she goes to sleep and... I have the house to myself all night, and I crank out some games then, and then we I wake up early, and she takes a nap with me, and I watch another game from the the West Coast game from the previous night. You know, it's it's not easy, and it's hard on the wife in particular, but you know, you make it work. What I'll, I'll be, I will be compa- happy when the first round is over, though. Last time you compared yourself to Nick Collison in the delivery room, what NBA player would you have compared yourself to these last two weeks? Um. I'm having trouble actually, getting up and down. I'm, I'm having trouble getting up and what? down the court. Oh no! I was going to say, uh, what so playoff who, performer? Who, who's yeah? Who's having trouble getting up and down the court? Kendrick Perkins. I don't want to compare myself to Perk. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That was mean. I shouldn't. Have, I big babies. Big babies moving better than I am. Um, Darren Williams. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Is there anyone who has like trouble walking? Is there anyone for whom running looks like it's a task that is is more difficult than it should be? Um, Plenty of fasciitis, uh, <laughs> or someone who just looks tired all the time. Who looks tired all the time? There's got to be like a like a new Sam Perkins, but not good. That's who I would be. Well, you know, you don't have to watch every minute of all of these games, right? Like, I'm pretty sure you could skip Grizzlies Trailblazers tonight. What? No, you just showed if, that one. I, I th- I think well, Portland, saying- I think Portland has a chance to win. I think we saw with Dallas last night. If you're at home and you're down 3-0 and you have a little bit of like rally the troops in you, you can win that fourth game. Now Portland may not Portland may not have that, but they hung in in game 3. Yeah. I, they have a chance to win tonight. Conley's not playing. When, when, that, this may go back to Memphis. My point is you could tape all these games, find out what happened and like let's say the Grizzlies just win by 20. There might be a skipper. Might I, I would grab the two hours sleep on that one. Sleep you know? is good. I like, I like veteran sleep. advice. Giving you some veteran advice. You're like I'm so I'm like uh, Otto Porter and you're Paul Pierce. Uh yeah. 
I'm saying you, you don't don't feel like you got to play 48 minutes a game and 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 play pace and space and push the ball the whole time. It's, it's okay, bring it back, scale it back, <laughs> reset the offense every so often. Uh, Zach Lowe, always a pleasure. We should mention uh, your podcast, The Low Post. If anyone who likes this podcast, I, I'm almost positive they would like yours as well, since it's NBA only and you've had some great guests on there. We'll see you on Grantland.com. And uh, and if if you like Grantland stuff, get ready because me and Chris Conley and Wesley Morris are taping a giant summer movie preview thing tomorrow, and we're going to be running the videos on Grantland and, and as running them in podcast form as well on the BS Report. Stay tuned for that. Talk to you soon. Zach, as always, a pleasure. Have fun. Thank you.